does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Let's welcome in Paul Casaro, head coach at UND, joining us here on the fan. Coach, you know, we'll get to basketball and all that good stuff, but uh, there was smoke coming out of Jimmy's ears based on officiating. So it could be anything basketball, pet peeve, wife, or anything in life. What's on your list, coach? Oh, n- nothing. Just I'm, I'm, I'm in a good place. You know, we're, we got a game tonight, um, and, you know, boys are playing well, and uh, there's nothing, there, no smoke coming out of my ears. Man, that is. Coach, have you, uh, I, I apologize for not having the stat in front of me, but I, I, I'd like to never think negatively of you. Have, have you been dished out of tea yet in your uh, coaching career? Uh, I've gotten one each season so far, so I've gotten three. Um, and to be honest with you, I felt like uh, I've des- if, if what I did those times equal technical, then I've deserved many more. I don't feel like I really earned the ones that I got, shockingly. Is that, um, and I always like to joke with coaches about this, but is, is that a frustrating aspect of it that you'd like to get your money's worth? Yeah, absolutely. Because I'll be honest with you, like it's it's a lot harder to get technical than people realize. You know, people have no idea what's actually said face to face when the crowd's going and that kind of stuff. Like it's, uh, um, you know, it, it's I, I think it's pretty difficult to get one. And then the times I've got them, I've been like, really? Like, come on, let me get my money's worth. Let me have a little fun with this. <laughs> How many times, coach, do you think you have gotten your money's worth and not been teed up? Every game, I haven't been teed up. <laughs> what do you find yourself i've coached uh let's see here i'm, I'm thinking uh oh 77 games so 74 times <laughs> coach what do you find yourself arguing about the most passionately like generally speaking what what is it that that might get under your skin and cause you to yell at a ref or two i mean, it, it varies honestly like i can't say one thing here or there it, it's competitive you know um it, but at the end of the day, listen, we're all humans. You know, they have a tough job. We have a tough job. Uh, basketball games are competitive and emotional. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's all about having the mutual respect and understand that we're both we're, uh, we're both working, you know. So try to work together as much as you possibly can. Uh, say what you have to say. Listen when uh, your emotions aren't too high and you're actually capable of doing so, which is easier said than done. But, like, it, it's an inexact science, to be honest with you. Coach, you're riding Coach Paul Casaro. Nice to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fitters Hotline and the MotorShop.com. You're riding a 16-game winning streak right now. Obviously, uh, we've talked to you a bit over the course of the season, but what has been the biggest focal point or, or the thing you've been most proud of of this group over this 16-game span? Uh, commitment to each other, commitment to the um, the, the, the the greater good, the greater cause of the group. No one's concerned about themselves or individual accolades or t- statistics or playing time. It's all about winning, um, and they play for each other. They play the right way, so it's a selfless group. Coach, how do you get players to be more unselfish and to have that mindset? You know, honestly, if you wait till you get them, it's too late. You know, you have to. That that comes down to the recruiting, and you really got to find out the type of person you're getting before you bring them in, because um, uh, that's a component that goes to character, and uh, you have to have the right character to be able to uh, be that type of teammate, that type of player. Uh, so I think that you're going to sift through that during the recruiting process, and if you're about recruiting student athletes that 
um, are more than just, you know, the statistics and what you see on paper and what you see on film and, and recruit more than just a basketball player, then I think you have a chance to do that. Coach, we were discussing earlier Buddy Heald on the Pacers' side uh, breaking Reggie Miller's single-season uh, franchise record for three-pointers made, and we were just discussing the different changes in the game over the last 10, 15 years. On that flow on the offensive side, Paul, because obviously you played there and and now you're the head coach, how much have you seen that change both as your time as an assistant uh, to now as a head coach in terms of the way the game is played on the offensive end? You know, it's 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 um, it's definitely changed in terms of the value on uh, shooting the ball from the three, and you know more attempts are taking, which is you know yielding um, a higher rate of makes. You know, because um, you know I, I'd be you'd be shocked to ever think Reggie Miller's um, you know three point record would be broken, especially this early in the season. Uh, but I think that just goes to how much how many more threes are being taken, and how much more emphasis is being put on that. Um, you know, conversely, um, we play a little more of a throwback style. You know, we're going to drive it. We're going to post it. We're going to play inside out. And you can still win that way, too. You know, and, and I think uh, where people get in trouble is, you know, there's nothing wrong with going with the trends if that's who you are. But you got to stick to your identity, and you can still uh, win that way. I mean, you look at, um, you know, teams that are still more of a run. It's kind of like a, the analogy I use is, you know, teams can still win by running the football and not by spreading around and, you know, just dinking and dunking all over the field. There's multiple ways, multiple ways to win games in any sport, I think. But I think the key is sticking to your identity and being true to who you are. Are there ever times, Coach, where your identity is tested? You know, like, like, let's go with the football thing. If you're running the football, but you're playing an opponent, and they're throwing the ball all over the place, and it's easy to be like, ooh, ah, we, we kind of want to do something similar there. Do you ever get that tested where you face a team that's really good from three, and it, and it really tests your identity to stay true to what you do best? All the time. All, all the time. We, You know, the term – we use here is we always talk about being us. You know, we, we say that a lot. Like, yeah, you know, we, we got to just continue to be us and stay the course. And, you know, we're going to keep doing what we do. You know, we, we, we're more worried about you and even the other opponent uh, more times than not. And if, if you get away from being yourself, being us, then you're not going to be as good. You know, that's bottom line. It's, you know, every team has an identity. Every team is made up. Uh, by a lot of talented individuals, but the sum of those individuals is going to be at its best playing a certain style and a certain brand. And, you know, for instance, uh, this past weekend we were in uh, uh, we were on a road trip and, you know, we found ourselves down uh, late in the second half in each game. And we just stuck to our identity, kept doing what we, what we always do, and uh, ended up working out for us. Final two home games of the season upcoming for the sixth-ranked Hounds. You can catch them here in – uh, actually tonight, 7.30 against Drury, and then Saturday, back-to-back GLVC matchups to close the year. Senior day, of course, this weekend. Coach, uh, we talked to you last time when it was um, – was it pack-the-house night? Am I getting that right? Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so we'll make sure. Right. So we talked to you last time pack-the-house night. For you, I know how important it is for support and, and, and the crowd you get and just the alumni base to continue to support the Hounds. Obviously, very important with you guys hanging on the top spot in the GLVC right now and two back-to-back, four straight, really, conference games, two on the road to end the season, but these first two at home, critical, and I know you need as much, you'd like as much support as you can get. 
Absolutely. You know, we, we always want to pack Nickerson Hall as much as we can. Our our alumni and local support has been great. You know, um, you know hopefully we can keep this up these last two games, especially that Saturday game. You know, great opportunity to bring your kids if you got you got youngsters. We're actually going to do a um, an autograph session right on the court immediately following our game. We're not even going to go back to the locker room. Uh, all of our players will be available for any kids in the stands, even adults if adults want them too. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, we'll have uh, team posters available with Sharpies, and they'll be able to get autographs from all of our, all of our, all of our guys. So trying to just provide an atmosphere that you know, people in the city can get on board with, and you know, students are really starting to get on board too. Our crowds have been really, really good ever since uh, uh, our New Year's Eve game uh, on a- uh, New Year's Eve afternoon, and um, you know, hopefully, we can keep that going. Coach Paul Casaro taking some time with us here in the DriveHubor.com studios on the hotline. Coach, I know that this is not a time for memories. There's a lot of objectives that you still have on your checklist for this season, but. We won't talk to you between now and Saturday's senior day. What's your biggest takeaways from this group of seniors? It's a great group of guys, you know, and, you know, three of them, uh, three of the four, uh, Ben, Jacoby, and Aaron, um, all, all, all local local guys, um, you know, here in Indianapolis, Ben Nickerson, Center Grove, Aaron Etherian, and Hamlet Southeastern, and, uh, and Jacoby Robinson, Warren Central. So uh, some, some people that Indianapolis residents who follow high school basketball know about. Those are all guys that, have been here since day one with me. Ben, uh, you know, was retained from the previous staff and and stuck around and believed in me and didn't hop in the portal. Um, you know, and then uh, actually Aaron and Jacoby were the first two guys that I signed over Zoom because it was in April of 2020, right in COVID. Um, you know, right when I got the job, they were my first two commits on back-to-back days. So, you know, what we've built, and, you know, like I said, I we're not done by any means. Um, not possible without those three. And, you know, um, there everybody talks about, you know, you know the way things are going right now, but it wasn't always that way. You know, we we had to to, to fight and scratch and claw to get here. Um, and you know, it's not about how you start; it's about how you finish. But I, I'll be out forever in debt to those guys uh, for helping me build this program. And then Bruno Williams uh, came to us from Lewis this year, a transfer, believed in us to uh, spend his last year playing college basketball, and he's been a wonderful addition as well. He's Coach Paul Casaro from UND, head coach over there. Coach, last one from me. I, I want to know what you're displeased with. Okay, and I'll frame it like this. You know, coaches always want to fine-tune things, right? You're 22-2, and 116 in a row, but I think to Nick Saban, where he might have a nice win to start the season, and he sounds like he got blown out by five touchdowns. You know, you're always trying to fine-tune things. If there is one area that you could just snap your fingers and fine-tune about your team, what would it be? I got it all for you right now. Our after-timeout defense, our baseline out-of-bounds defense, um, our transition offense and our sideline out-of-bounds offense all need to get better. And trust me, every day I wake up thinking about how we can improve those things. I'm never happy. Coach, I want to end on a silly note. Um, I'll tell you who it was off air, but I'm not going to out which alumni uh, sent me this. But I was told to ask, we asked you about your behavior currently as a head coach. How would you say that compares to uh, when your sister, the talented Lindsay Cassaro, was playing? Are you talking about behavior when? Uh, just a, of how you reacted during a game compared to when, when you were playing, compared to when you were coaching. Oh, yeah, I was, I was just a fan. You know, she that was, she was so fun to watch, and I enjoyed watching her play. Uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. You know, people who watch me can probably give me a better example. <laughs> uh, when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to sports and you know getting fired up, it's kind of an outer body experience. So whatever reaction I get, sometimes I black out and don't don't even know what the heck just happened. So uh, so whoever's watching me can probably give you a better better answer there. <laughs> Coach, really appreciate the time, man. Uh, hope you have a great game tonight, and we'll catch you down the road. All right. Guys, appreciate it as always. Have a great one. Thanks, yeah, Coach. Good luck. too. Paul Cassaro, head coach at UND. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Let's welcome in Dave Revson from Big Ten Network joining us here on The Fan. Dave, welcome in, man. Hope you're having a great day. Before we get to hoops, we are just talking about things that annoy us. And we were talking about the highway. You know, I'm curious, what annoys Dave Revson the most when you're just driving from point A to point B? The highway annoys you? Could you elaborate? Uh, just, just traffic. Yeah, traffic-wise. Oh, traffic annoys you. Yeah. So you're asking me from a traffic perspective what annoys me the most? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this seems like a very narrow focus of conversation. <laughs> oh, it's it's more expansive. I think you're making it narrow, but it's quite expansive, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of traffic. Um, I, I I would like to have. I'm, I'm kind of contemplating the world of the self-driving car oh. because I get very very distracted and uh, and and bored. And I spend a lot of time driving, right, like back and forth from games and that kind of thing. So. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of of that at all. So I'm with you guys, Dave. We got on this tangent because uh, you don't know this, but I'm an IU alum, and I, I understand I probably shouldn't be having sour grapes as an IU alum. But I was not happy with both sides of the officiating last night of IU Northwestern, particularly how the game ended. That went into pet peeves, and and that and then we're at traffic. So that's 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 how we got there. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So it was a broader discussion. Yeah, yeah, yes, right. we're very sophisticated. It, 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 Wide, wide ranging between Big Ten officiating and traffic. Yes, we we did. Yeah. Okay. we did kind of shoehorn in there the meaning of life along the way, Dave. <laughs> so it was holy cow. We covered a lot of bases yeah. over there. All um, right. Yeah, uh, just general thoughts of the game last night. What did you think about IU? Really tough first half, only twenty points. Battled all the way back. Didn't go their way in the final seconds. What was your overall view of how they played and how it went down? It, j- it just seemed like they weren't ready to play last night in the first half, which was a little bit strange. Uh, Northwestern really took it to them. Look, Northwestern's going to be very physical on defense. I mean, that's just kind of the way that they can win. Um, and it really seemed to fluster IU, I thought, in the first half. The, those hard doubles 
TJD didn't respond particularly well to them. I mean, honestly, it could have been like a 30-point game in the first half. I mean, Northwestern missed so many open threes, really, throughout the game they did. So I, I we were talking the halftime off the air, but I think we kind of implied it on the air. Like, Indiana was fortunate to be down 19. They really were. Uh, but then, you know, came out like game busters in the second half. I thought they made a really good adjustment where they started, they initiated TJD further away from the basket, like got him the ball further from the basket. And I think that kind of negated some of those hard double teams from Northwestern, right? Whereas it, it, it just, it's harder to, to double him up, you know, 12 feet away than it is right around the basket because there's just so many different ways that he can hurt you. And he had some, a couple of nice passes, a couple I remember to race Thompson in particular. So it felt like Indiana kind of figured it out in the second half and, and obviously made a great game of it, came all the way back. Um, but yeah, to me, like my takeaway on it was it, it just didn't feel like IU was ready to go and, and that ended up costing them. Dave Revson, nice enough to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fisher's hotline and themotorshop.com. Dave, I, I want you to, you're, you're, a, you're a Big Ten savant. You're, you're one of the founding voices on the Big Ten network. I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this and you talk me off the ledge because not from an IU perspective, but large-scale Big Ten. You mentioned the physicality of Northwestern. And I understand there's a larger mix of, of why Big Ten teams haven't had the success that we'd like to see out of the conference in the tournament. There's many reasons, and also the tournament is is a total. Uh, it's a mixed bag of what you're going to get, right? It's a, it is what it is. Single elimination tournament. You know that. You mentioned the physicality of Northwestern, though. The Big Ten, the way that I feel like it is on a nightly basis, the way it's been the last 20, 25 years, it's so physical, and I feel like more is let go on a nightly basis in conference that it contributes to when you get to the big dance. To a sense that teams are not ready for the way. Oh, that's that's a foul now. We we can't play that physical anymore on that side of the ball am i wrong on that and thinking that's a larger issue to at least a contributing factor for early exits for the big 10 am i crazy or is that not that far off all right so i don't necessarily buy this notion of early exits for the big 10 and you could say well you know wait a minute the last couple of years have been bad and the last couple of years have been bad but the last couple of years are really not indicative of what has happened more broadly within the Big Ten and the NCAA tournament. In fact, going into last year, dating back to Michigan State's national championship, which obviously is a long time ago. Like, the national championship drought is very real, and we can get into that. But going into last year, the Big Ten was tied with the ACC for the most Final Fours in that period since Michigan State won the national championship at the beginning of this century. So they have gotten teams to the precipice. They had seven teams play for the national championship in that span, including several who, you know, I kind of think were the better team when they got there, just didn't win the game. So, again, I, like, I understand they haven't won a national championship, and, and it's crazy to see it. And I I'm, remain hopeful every year that this will be the year that it changes. But I don't really accept the premise that the Big Ten hasn't done well in the tournament other than the last two years. Like, the last two years have been really bad. But the conference has been physical for a long time. Right. Like, that's not something that has changed here in the last couple of years. I just think for whatever reason, the last couple of years, you know, there have been bad matchups. I think in the, the year where the whole thing was in the bubble, I honestly just think the Big Ten teams were in Indy for too long. Like, I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but – 
Like they literally were all in the same hotel from the beginning of the Big Ten tournament through the NCAA tournament. And I think like a lot of them were just going stir crazy. And and I understand everyone else was in the bubble too, but they had at least been able to travel from their conference tournament. And then last year, you know, just kind of what happened, happened. And, and there were each is a unique circumstance. But, but so that would be my take on it. I, the Big Ten is a physical league. It's always going to be a physical league. It's just kind of its brand of basketball. But its brand of basketball has been very successful outside of winning a national championship. He's Dave Revson from Big Ten Network joining us here on The Fan. You know, you talk about winning championships, and it leads me to what do you think IU's ceiling, the absolute ceiling is for them come tournament time? I don't know. I, I just think the, the – I'm not trying to back out of this question or dodge in any way, but I just think the tournament is so dependent on who you are playing. And, and it's so matchup specific. I mean, they're going to have the best player on the court basically in any game they play. I mean, I think Trace Jackson Davis is that good. Again, I, I understand I'm biased. I watch much more Big Ten basketball than, than other leagues, so I certainly try to watch as much as I can. But, you know, the Big Ten plays virtually every night, and that's my job to talk about those games. And, and so I watch a lot of it. But yeah, you look at, like, the Ken Palm, right? Uh, Trace Jackson Davis is his number two ranked player in the country, or at least was going into last night's game. I, I don't know why anything would have changed last night. He nearly got a triple-double. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're always going to have the best guy in the court. I, I think Hood Shafino is really, really good. I worry about not having ancillary players who they can depend on on a night-in and night-out basis. I mean, I, I do think that's hard. You say, well, if someone takes away TJD, it's just easier said than done to take away TJD. So is there a ceiling on IU? I don't know. I mean, they beat Purdue, who's going to be the number one overall seed. I, I think they're a really, really good team. Um, you know, can they? I, like, to me, they can easily be a Final Four team. I can understand why not, but they could also lose, you know, in the second round. I mean, I, I think that's just kind of the vagaries of the tournament, and, and it's so dependent on – on who you play, but I, I think Indiana's really, really good when they're at their best. Dave, you mentioned Purdue. I've gotten some different requests in my mentions regarding uh, Purdue basketball and, and questions about the way Zach Eady is officiated. Uh, the most recent one that I've been getting is when he's lined up in the middle of the free throw lane on a free throw. Defenders are are wrapping arms or locking arms with him to prevent him from getting rebounds. Uh, in general, your overall thoughts on the way Zach Eady is officiated, and if you think that, that he is sometimes penalized for how big and, and, and strong he is on the field, or on the court, rather. Stephen Bardo and I talked about this on the Northwestern Purdue game on Sunday, which, which I had the call for. He is a really tough guy to officiate when you talk to refs. And I'm like, I get it. That's their job, right? I mean, we all have tough aspects of our sure. job. and say, man, this is really hard. It's like, okay, well, that's what you're paid to do. So figure out a way to do it. But I, I do think it's just kind of uniquely challenging because he is so much bigger than everyone else. We did show at one point the kind of welts on his arm on Sunday. I don't know if you guys were watching, but, uh, you know, again, whether those were from, they actually look like maybe they'd been there for a while, but I, I don't know if they actually had, had happened on Sunday. But I do think it kind of points out, like, yes, he takes a lot of abuse. He, he also, like, he is really big. And, and I think that he kind of, also dishes out some some abuse. So I don't know. Again, I, I empathize with officials. I, I I do think it's really tough. I mean, I know like last night, you know, was was the last play uh, a, a push off 
Um, I was hot, Dave. Boo-booey. I was hot. You, you know, <laughs> I mean, but again, like you can you can look at like an obvious missed goaltend yeah, yeah. earlier in the yep. game that then led to a three pointer. Like that's a five point swing yep. right there, right yep. on, on a blown call. Like there are blown calls all over the game. I, I don't know. I don't really think you can call that at that point, but but who knows. I just think it's hard. Like, I think officiating is hard. And, and sometimes you look at the replay and it's like, wow, that is not what I in, – in real time. So I'm not making excuses. I, I just think it's really, really challenging. And, like, like, the only thing that you can do against Zach Eady is try to be as physical as you can. Because otherwise, like, it's, it's over. If he gets deep post position, it's over. Yep. Right? Like, you're dead. So – I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I'm not making excuses for anyone. I'm just saying it, it's harder than it seems from our, whether it's from my seat at, at midquarter in the studio or from anyone else's seat at home in front of their 60 inch television. Like I, I just, it is a very challenging job. Now they got to figure it out, but um, I, I guess I'm not saying that he's officiated differently. He is different. And that makes the officiating challenging. You know, Dave, I was just thinking about a lot of the questions that we ask and you get. It's all about who's the best, who's going to do what come tournament time, who's chasing a championship. That's all cool. But just entertainment wise, I think sometimes we just forget about entertainment. Which Big Ten team, good, bad, in the middle, what have you, are you just flat out most entertained by? Well, I think Iowa's maybe the most fun team to watch in the Big Ten when they've really got it rolling. They've obviously been much better at home this year than they have been on the road. But I just like their style. I mean, they are different in some ways from a lot of Big Ten teams because they're a little bit more free-flowing on offense because they play at a little bit faster pace. So I guess if I had to pick one, I would choose them. But I think the great thing about the Big Ten and, and what I've come to really appreciate is the adaptability of some of these different programs. So I think in past years, you might have said Michigan State because they were a little bit more up-tempo and, and free-flowing of a team. But Tom doesn't really have a team that can do that this year. And so he has adapted his style. I think the identities of teams are part of what makes them fun. So in other words, to see this Rutgers team over the last few years create an identity is as a real good defensive team that has a great home court advantage. Northwestern trying to do that this year. Like that's kind of the beauty of it. But if you were just asking me kind of from the pure aesthetic standpoint of it, I, I really, I love watching Iowa play when they've got it rolling. Dave, last question on my end, kind of a two-parter regarding Northwestern. It, it appears by all accounts, they've proven they're for real over this stretch and their wins over top 25 opponent after top 25 opponent. I know it depends on draw, um, but but where are your expectations for them with with where they can go in the tournament? And then also it, with how well they've been and, and just the incredible run underneath Coach Collins, is he going to be a, an easy named candidate a, 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 to be potentially plucked? Uh, so I mean, obviously you have buyouts and stuff in that regard too. But could he be plucked somewhere else after this off season? Huh, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered that. I mean, you know, he's obviously was on the hot seat. He's had some some really lean years here in, right. in recent years since they made the NCAA tournament. He's done a, a fabulous job with this team, and I just don't think there's any doubt he's the Big Ten Coach of the Year. I mean, I said this on the game Sunday. They were picked 13th in the Big Ten, except for by the people who picked them 14th. And here they are alone in second place now, more than halfway through February. So I think he's done a remarkable job. I, 
I'd be very surprised where, I mean, I, you know, I guess like Notre Dame's open. I mean, you know, maybe that's a, a job where someone would consider him. I, I, I think he's a really good coach. I think Northwestern's a hard job. Um, you know, again, I think there was some question going into this year about whether he'd be back in, yeah. in Evanston on there, you know, kind of as their decision. I, I'd be surprised if, if he's not back there next year and, and, you know, have some sort of a long-term deal. I think he's happy as, his son's a student there. He's from Chicago. I mean, it just feels like it's it's a really good fit. Now I think it gives him an opportunity to do what they kind of failed to do the last time they made the tournament, and that's see some of the momentum and, and figure out a way now that the arena's built and, and they've created an atmosphere. So so I hadn't really considered that part of it. As far as where they can go in the tournament, I mean, they're very good defensively, and I do think that the defense travels. They are a not a good shooting team. <laughs> and uh, and I just think that's kind of a limiting factor. They really have to figure out a way to get Robbie Barron or Ty Berry going. I mean, those guys were essentially left open by Indiana last night. Just And, and a lot of it is the attention that's paid to, to Bowie and Adij. But, you know, they had tons of open looks and just couldn't hit them. The same thing against Purdue. And they don't really have a low post presence. I mean, Matthew Nicholson's fabulous defensively. He's trying to develop a a low post game, but for all intents and purposes, he's a freshman and because uh, he played so sparingly in the last two years. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, could they be a team that wins a couple games? I, I think they could be, but it, I just think it depends so much on yeah. who they end up matched up with. Hey, Dave, appreciate the time, man. Great stuff. Hope you have a good day and we'll catch you on Saturday doing the Ohio State uh, Wisconsin game for sure. Uh, yeah, Penn State, Penn State, Wisconsin. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to to that one on Saturday and uh, thanks a lot for having me on thanks Jimmy thanks Brian take care guys yeah you you too there he is Dave Revson Big Ten Network joining us here on The Fan life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Oh, what's going on, everybody? Hope you're having a fantastic Thursday. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. We want to welcome in Matt Taylor. Voice of the Colts joining us here on The Fan. Good afternoon, Matt. Hope all is well. Uh, we just kicked around a simple question here today. What would make you happy as a Colts fan this year, in the year 2023, within reason, of course? What would be a couple of the things on your list that would make you happy if the Colts did fill in the blank? Oh, man. Well, I guess, you know, don't go, uh, you know, one in seven or whatever it was towards the <laughs> back half of last year and – you know, score score a lot more touchdowns, make the playoffs. Uh, you know, have some stability at, at the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, those are all things that I think would put a smile on my face, make make things enjoyable, and I'm sure would uh, brighten up a lot of 
Colts fans, you know, fandom, if you will, towards the back half of hopefully what is a good 2023. Man, I know there's a lot of sadness and frustration to an extent from the way maybe not the last full two years have gone, but in particular this past season. We talked about it, about the Pacers as well. Just a lot of losing at times, but the Pacers this year, young core. Again, I know they've had a tough losing streak recently, but there's more games in the NBA. We'll let that part slide. But the fan base is the same, right? You want to see positive growth. You want to see a return to hope and, and belief in this franchise. Where has your needle moved with the hiring of Shane Steichen in that regard? And then, just overall the preparation for what they're ultimately going to do in April's draft? Well, I think my optimism just relies obviously on the offensive side of the ball. When you look at the success that the Eagles have had the last two years and specifically last year in 2022, I mean, they're top 10 in everything, you know, yards and points and red zone and third down. I mean, these are all areas to me, situational football is really where, the Colts struggled last year, you know, getting off the fast starts, you know, the Colts, I think only scored 20 points all season on their opening possessions of games. And if you look at the Eagles, that number was 62. They're really good in fourth quarter. So kind of like the minutia of offense, they were just really good and top tier in just about everything that they did. Now they've got great players, right? I mean, they got, I mean, they had six, uh, pro bowlers on that side of the ball with Jalen Hurts and Kelsey at center and then a bunch of skill players and Smith and uh, A.J. Brown. So that certainly makes life easier, but he's still the guy that is orchestrating that thing and calling the plays and designing the offense, and he's done it and has had success with a variety of different quarterbacks. I think that's been well chronicled with you know Phillip Rivers and Justin Herbert and Jalen Hurts. These are all different guys. Um, they have different levels of mobility and athleticism and arm strength, and he's just had a high success uh, with all of them. And I think that gives you optimism going forward. And I think also, too, and, and this is just sort of like the big-picture NFL fan in me, is that the NFL is built for parity. I mean, we see every game seemingly comes down to the fourth quarter. All of these games are decided – uh, you know, by seven points or less. And every year in the NFL playoffs, I mean, it's been like, what, 32 consecutive years where at least four teams make the playoffs that did not the year before. And that number this past playoff run was seven. There were seven teams that made the playoffs in 22 that didn't in 21. And we always routinely talk about teams going from worst to first in their division a la the Jacksonville Jaguars this past year. So I don't think the cupboard's bare for the Colts. In fact, I'm, I'm actually pretty optimistic that Shane Steichen can retool, reboot this offense uh, with Jonathan Taylor, some core pieces along the offensive line, with Michael Pittman Jr., some big play threats like Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods. He can come in and put a stamp on this thing with the quarterback that they pick, however they decide to, to go that route, and be able to make it work. And um, I, I think this thing can go from, you know, obviously pretty depressing towards the end of last year to pretty optimistic uh, to 2023 because that's the league. That's the way this is set up with an inverse draft order and all of that. So I think the pairing the league plus Steichen plus the, you know, the pieces that the Colts have 
gives me a little bit more optimism, certainly in mid, you know, February than I did in mid-December. You know, Matt, I'll be honest with you. At first, when you mentioned playoffs, I my initial reaction was like, yeah, that's a long shot. But the more you talk, you're absolutely making sense. And I'll meet, meet you halfway because I think back to the Bengals, they were 4-11-1 the season before. They almost exactly. won a Super Bowl. That's crazy. And exactly. then you look at the same AFC South. Uh, last year, Jacksonville was 3 and and 14, and then they end up winning the South. Now, granted, those quarterbacks were in year two. Uh, we're assuming that there's going to be a top draft pick in year one for the Colts, but with all that being said, how realistic do you think it is that when the season's over, we're looking at the Colts in the playoffs? Well, I mean, obviously there's a ton that's going to you know transpire between now and then. Um, I mean, the Colts still have to make a decision on what they do in the draft, and uh, you know what, what they decide to do with you know quarterbacks on the roster right now, and Nick Foles and Matt Ryan. But I think if you're just going to talk big picture again in mid February about the lot that the Colts are in right now in the AFC, um, they got the work cut out for them. And I know I'm talking optimistic, but I'm also real in the sense that the AFC is incredibly loaded. These guys aren't going anywhere. Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, they're going to they're they're already a dynasty. They're not going anywhere. The Bills aren't going anywhere. Uh, the, the Bengals aren't going anywhere. I mean, to your point, I mean, Zach Taylor was going to get fired prior to the 21 season mm-hmm. had they not gone on that run to the AFC Championship game and ultimately the Super Bowl in Joe Burrow's you know, third year or second year on the job. Um, so, obviously, you, you've got to nail quarterback in this offseason for the Colts. And, you know, what we've been saying internally on our content, if you will, really since the end of the season – there are a lot of foundational pieces that are being put into place right now. That that's the biggest key. It's you know the word foundation this off season. This is going to lay the foundation for really the next five to ten years for this franchise with having to make a huge decision on head coach who we come to find out is also going to call plays. It's primarily going to be his system on offense tailored to you know the quarterback that they choose plus the quarterback that could be the franchise guy if they decide to go that route, picking in the top five in the lottery, if you will, of this draft. Um, so the the major decisions that they're going to have to make, uh, you know, one of them they've already made, but in about uh, a two-month span, it really is going to set up the Colts with um, hopefully a lot of success. But the foundation of that success, that's going to be laid between now and May. Matt Taylor taking some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline here from the DriveHubler.com studios. Matt, you mentioned the fact that Shane Steichen, at least from the press conference, that he's going to be the one calling plays here. We had Dave Spadaro on PhiladelphiaEagles.com yesterday, and he mentioned that you know Sirianni had, had done that his initial year and then eventually kind of relinquished play calling duties. It's all about style and feel for a coach, how much responsibility they want, where do they want to focus their energy. You know that. Uh, do you think that that is something that will be in the long-term cards for him? Or could you see that being as he gets familiarized as being a head honcho that maybe it is better off still having some input, but but passing along to an OC someday? Yeah, I mean, I think time will tell on that. I mean, Nick Sirianni, you know, the way that he put it was, you know, I just kind of had a lot on my plate and I'm thinking about, you know, playing this game of chess in my brain uh, throughout the course of the game, trying to call the plays, trying to do the game management stuff, trying to be two and three play calls ahead of where I'm at right now and, and thinking about strategy. And then I've got people in my ear saying, call timeout or don't call timeout or challenge, don't challenge or go for it here. And, 
it's not that he didn't trust those people. It's just I want to have supreme confidence and that what I'm, whatever I'm hearing in my ear about game strategy, I don't have to second guess or I don't have to you know, think about a shadow of a doubt that they could be wrong um, because you have to make all of those decisions in a really uh, short amount of time considering the fast-paced nature of the game and the play clock and all of that. But I think Shane Steichen, just getting to know him a little bit, reading about him, researching him, hearing him talk, uh, he's a very sharp guy. He can process a lot in a short amount of time. Um, and I, I, I actually think it's really important that he calls plays, to be honest with you. I mean, he's had – why wouldn't you want him to call plays? Because, I mean, he's orchestrated an Eagles offense that's just been uh, so dynamic the last couple of years. And, um, you know, the level of optimism pairing Jonathan Taylor with his creativity and his schemes within the running game, considering the Eagles have rushed uh, for over 5,000 yards combined in the last two years, led the NFL in rushing each of the last two campaigns. So uh, why wouldn't you want him dialing up his offense and working you know, so close with a young quarterback, again, if the Colts decide to go that route in the draft? Um, but that being said, uh, you also, the other side of that coin is you have to surround yourself with people that you really trust and that you're confident in that can give you in time intelligent feedback on how to manage the game. Again, call timeouts, how to just strategize, you know, these late, you know, four, four minute drills or two minute drills. Um, because again, what you, what you're hearing in your headset, you don't want to, you know, feel reluctant to go with. You, you want to make sure the people that are, you, you know, you're entrusting to do game management are doing just that so that you can focus on the play. So I'm not saying it's not going to work out, but I like the fact that he's, you know, going to call plays initially, but he's also said that, hey, if it's not going well or I think I need to pivot, he's comfortable doing that. But I think it makes a lot of sense, considering his success, that he comes in right away and, and calls the plays for this Colts offense. He's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts here on The Fan with us. You know, Matt, of course, Jim Irsay the other day said he likes the Alabama quarterback and uh, caused a lot of waves right there. You do? That's what I was going to ask you. Like, do you have a strong opinion (laughs) on any of the top prospects in the upcoming draft? No, I don't. I'm not there yet. Um, You know, I'm not in in, in terms of like just, you know, I'm surface level on the draft as of right now. I mean, it's just all been sort of regrouping after the season and then. Uh, you know, sort of waiting and, and researching some of these potential head coaching candidates. So now that there's a, um, you know, coach in place, you know, then we'll sort of go full bore into the intricacies of of these uh, draft uh, quarterbacks. But um, I, I think the consensus is, based on what I'm reading um, and just hearing other people that are certainly more dialed into the college game than I am, uh, is that, um, you know, I think it's just sort of pick your flavor of the quarterback that you like. You know, some guys think that C.J. Stroud and and Young are on the same plateau. Other people think that it's Young by, you know, a pretty wide gap and it's everybody else, two, three, and four between Stroud and Levis or Richardson from Florida. So I I just think it it all boils down to the Colts' evaluation of those guys. Uh, Again, hypothetically, big if, right, if they decide to go that route in the draft. Everybody thinks that they will, but you never know. Um, but it's it's certainly going to be fascinating and interesting to see how this all plays out. Plus, the whole fact that you know the Chicago Bears are sitting there at number one, and the you know the history with Matt Eberflus and the Colts, and you know his uh, intimate knowledge of this Colts roster, and 
the fact that they hypothetically don't need a quarterback and they could get the best you know, non-quarterback player in the draft by moving back to four? What would it take to move up to number one? Uh, would it take next year's first-round pick for the Colts um, to go up to number one, considering they'd be asking the Bears to only go down to four? I mean, I'm talking in circles right now, and I can't even handle it, and we're mid-February. We still have you know almost a month and a half, two months to talk about all of this. So it's fun. It's interesting. I know why people get into it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the Colts right now are – you know they're sort of on the tip of the iceberg of all of their evaluation as they have a lot of a lot more uh, tape to pour over and interviews to do uh, when it comes to separating these quarterbacks from from another. How do- life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Are you, by the way, for enjoying your well-deserved time off and spending time with your family and not diving into every ounce of college football film that you could have <laughs> for these quarterbacks, Mate? I'm disappointed. Um, yeah. You had an opportunity uh, to sit down and talk with Coach Steichen, uh, and I know that you guys had that on the, uh, the the Colts Podcast Network and the Colts Audio Network, I, I beg your pardon, um, with Coach. Brian actually brought this up earlier in the show in regards to why – it's so interesting what quarterback they go with because there's been so many different stylistic levels of QB that Coach Steichen has helped develop or squeeze uh, the most he can out of over even the last four or five years as a coordinator in L.A. uh, with Rivers and Herbert and then, of course, with uh, Hurts this past year. Sitting down, and I know you guys talked about that during that conversation, did you get a similar vibe of – They'll find the guy they want, but it'll be somewhat based on the fact that Steichen's going to be able to get the most out of whoever it is in theory. Yeah, and that's another component to this whole draft uh, proposition. If you know, again, if if hypothetically their evaluation tells them that there's not a big gap between you know player A, who's the best quarterback in the draft, versus player B, uh, then you just sort of sit back, and that's another school of thought. You you sit at four, knowing that you're comfortable getting whomever that player is with not a lot of separation between one and two and knowing that, you know, we, we've, we've got a guy here as our head coach and you know, sort of our de facto offensive coordinator and play caller that has had success working with all different styles of quarterback. So let's just sit at four, not give up draft capital and trust that he's going to be able to make it work because he's proven he can do that. Um, but I think big picture here again, um, and this is, I think this is every casual NFL fan saying this. Certainly Shane Steichen is saying this. I I think the prerequisite now in the NFL is just what he alluded to the other day when he talked about what he's looking for in quarterback play. It's it's accuracy. It is uh, high level of playmaking ability. 
Um, it is IQ. It is smarts. It's intelligence. But it's also just, again, you, you've got to be able to make things happen when the pocket is not perfect. You have to have some mobility, athleticism. And, again, I just go back to that word playmaking ability. And I think all of those quarterbacks, to a degree, have that. But, you know, we're seeing that in the NFL. That is sort of, again, a prerequisite to advance to the divisional round, advance to the championship games, and get yourself into the Super Bowl. You don't have to be Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson, but Patrick Mahomes has escapability. He's got playmaking ability. So does Burrow. So does Josh Allen, so on and so forth. With all these quarterbacks in the AFC, you got to get a guy like that, I think, to just give yourself a fighting chance because these defensive ends and, heck, these defensive tackles nowadays – are way more athletic and they're they have more speed they've got more power than they ever have and i think just gone are the days where you've got these you know i hate to use the word pocket passers or statue-like quarterbacks but um i just think the game is shifting the college game is um you know going up to the nfl if you will and i think that's what the coordinators are doing right now they're having success with blending the nfl game and the college game with some of these quarterbacks um, and they're not doing any, any one thing or two things exclusively, but they're able to put a package together where these guys can thrive by making plays with the read zone or the read option or just having the ability to get out of the pocket, extend plays, and find guys down the field to get first downs or you know to move the sticks inside the red zone, ultimately get in, in the end zone. So it, it's fun to see all the parity uh, quarterback-wise in the AFC and, and what the Colts can do to give themselves a chance to compete with that by the moves they make in this offseason. You know, Matt, this is, it seems like a long time away, the draft, a couple of months plus. So I realize we're in February and we're talking about what the crystal ball might see, but I mean, how much wheeling and dealing do you think we might see at the top of the draft where the Colts are at four? There are certainly other very QB needy teams. Do you have a gut feeling now as to what we might see when the first round rolls around in terms of teams moving up to get a quarterback for all the reasons that you just laid out? Well, there's a chance. I mean, there's a there's a decent chance, again, the Chicago Bears are going to play this um, very intelligently. Again, they have a lot of leverage knowing that they have Justin Fields and they don't need a quarterback and, you know, we were just sort of kicking this around the other day. I mean, just sort of, you know, in the in the break room when, when you have five, ten minutes to yourself and you just sort of think about what this could look like. I mean, the, the fact that the Bears, if, if the Colts go up from four to one, you know, again, you're asking the Bears to j- just drop down a handful of spots knowing they could still get a premium player at a premium position, not at the quarterback spot. And, you know, if you're the Colts, you'd be saying, well, we don't want to give up our first round pick in 2024 because you're still you're going to go down only three spots and get a great player. Now, you might be asking us for our our second round pick or our third round pick, or maybe you want a player on the roster. um, But let's let's keep our first round pick for next year. But then the Chicago Bears might say, well, I'm going to get off the phone with you. I'm going to take a phone call from the Houston Texans, who are also in in the market for a quarterback. And they might also covet the best quarterback in the draft. And they might be willing to give me uh, their first-round pick for next year. So now are you willing to go back to the offer table like we're buying a house and up the the asking price by 
twenty grand or thirty grand here, right? To kind of put it into layman's terms. So I think there's a possibility that you know this could get interesting, especially as we enter mid March in free agency and creep towards the draft. A lot of moves to be made, and I think that the uh, Chicago Bears hold um, you know a pretty good uh, deck in their hands, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how they play it and what kind of leverage they might try to pull on some of these teams at the top of the draft that need a quarterback to get up to number one. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor with us via the guest line here in the drivehubor.com studios. You can follow him on Twitter at Colts. Matt, with, and we all know this, but with free agency taking place before the draft and, and that getting started when the new league year begins, uh, I believe, what, first or second week of March, whenever that uh, officially clocks into play, for you, and you look at this roster, how aggressive do you anticipate the Colts will be, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, uh, with what this free agent class presents? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's, it's it's hard to say because, you know, in the past the Colts have always done a pretty good job of, you know, putting values on players and, and sticking to that, sticking to their principles, um, being prudent in free agency, and if it doesn't work out with the guys in the top end of the, you know, the, the first couple of days of free agent guys, yeah, right? I mean, March fifteenth is going to be the first day of the new league year, and the top guys go for top dollar on the fifteenth and the sixteenth and the seventeenth. And are those guys overpaid? Yeah, but they're also the top guys on the market, and teams, you know, that's that's what you do. I mean, that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars did with, you know, guys like Zay Jones and Christian Kirk, and to a degree, it worked out for them, right? Because they won the division, they won a playoff game, got back to you know some franchise stability. Um, so I think there's two different schools of thought there. Um, but the Colts have some decisions to make on how aggressive they want to be at the skill position spots on offense to bolster that side of the ball with potentially a young quarterback. Um, also, too, I, I think it, it's going to be interesting how the Colts pitch themselves to free agents on the outside market, right? I mean, if you're a receiver on the open market, uh, that happens chronologically uh, in the calendar before the draft, and the Colts potentially wouldn't have a franchise quarterback taken at that point because the draft happens after free agency. Um, So that's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds, Um, but also to in-house free agents, some big ones, you know, Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin on that side of the ball, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Tyquan Lewis coming off another injury, um, Unique Ngakwe, Bobby O'Karake at the linebacker position, um, Chase McLaughlin on special teams, who is so uh, confident and stable at the kicking position. So uh, I think there's a lot of different angles to look at this with the Colts going into free agency, both in-house on the open market and also how they decide to market themselves to outside free agents um, with the unknown of the quarterback position. You know, Matt, before you go, and we appreciate your time, do you think more or less of me that I literally celebrate the new league year as if it is New Year's Eve? I go crazy. <laughs> I, I get balloons. I get silly string. I go nuts. Champagne? I haven't gotten sh- okay. champagne yet, but maybe, maybe. Uh, do you think more or less of me for this habit of mine, Matt? Well, I mean, I'm, you're, listen, I'm, I'm not one to judge anything, considering <laughs> uh, the the nerd, the nerddom and the dorkisms that I pull out on a daily basis. So um, for me, it's just it's a very busy day of the year, given you know the position that uh, or you know the the career that I have, if you will. So you, you guys are in the same position, having to track it and follow it and stay up to date on it. I think from a 
sports fan standpoint, that day is just psychotic because you've got traditionally either conference championships or conference tournaments going on or the first round of the NCAA tournament going on. And then at the bottom line of the scroll, you're watching hoops, but then at the bottom line of the scroll, you've got all these moves going on in free agency. You know, this guy signs for this much money with this team or, you know, this player is being waived or this guy's contract is being, uh, you know, moved into a different realm of the business side. He's going to roll over money and all this stuff. So, um, it is a very, very busy time of the year in mid-March. I'm sure, you know, NCAA basketball doesn't like the fact that the NFL continues to kind of, you know, disappear and then come back and overshadow some big moments on the sports calendar. But that is the beast that the NFL has created with as soon as the Super Bowl is over, then you've got the combine, then it's free agency, then it's the draft, then it's the off-season workout program, and then boom, it's training camp again. So it really never goes away. So I'm with you. March 15th is a big day, and uh, I'm excited for it, just like everybody else. Oh, yeah, very excited for it. And we're a step closer to the draft when that rolls around for sure. But, Matt, appreciate your time today, man. Good to chat with you. Hope you have a good day. I appreciate you guys. You too. There he is, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts.